everyone. Welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. We're happy to have you this evening. Uh, we're very happy to have our guest tonight, Major Jeremy DeHart from the 53rd Weather Squadron, also known as the Hurricane Hunters. And goodness, I know it's been a, a busy, well, 2020 was a busy year for Jeremy and the team. And so we're going to talk about that tonight and kind of let you know uh, behind the scenes what goes on on these important missions to figure out uh, all we can about these hurricanes to make our forecasting better and to help better uh, forecast the impacts that affect you. So uh, Jeremy, also a meteorologist, so um, we're interested to, to learn more about that part as he's on the flight working with all the other crew. And uh, also a North Carolina boy, didn't know this until we just started talking. He is uh, from Lenore in Caldwell County, North Carolina. So Jeremy, uh, welcome to the show. Uh, happy to have you this evening. Uh, being a local boy of the Carolinas, was there an important weather event uh, that kind of got you hooked into the world of meteorology? Uh, not specifically. I mean, I, I, I grew up in North Carolina. I moved to Lenore, as you said, probably when I was in sixth grade or so. I was a Navy brat, so I kind of moved around. And um, not, not a specific weather event. I do remember you know, my dad telling me when I grew up, when I was young, I always grab the newspaper, grab the back page of the USA Today and look at the, the temperature map on the back of the on the newspaper and hey dad, it's it's six below in Minot, North Dakota today. Hey, that's that's great, Jeremy. You know, and so I think a lot of other weather nerds out there can kind of relate to that growing up and always be interested in the weather. And so that's kind of where I started and followed that passion into studying meteorology. Um, went to NC State, so stayed in North Carolina for school, go pack. And uh, kind of just worked my way through the Air Force on the active duty side uh, for about 12 years. And then I've been doing um, this job as a meteorologist and a hurricane hunter for the last five years or so. So it's uh, best job in the world, in my opinion, for, for a meteorologist. Jeremy, in the Carolinas, um, was there any specific person, uh, TV or, or maybe I know you said the 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 newspaper there, any specific person that you kind of followed or, or is kind of inspiration or uh, I know a lot of folks, uh, it's like the movie Twister or a lot of folks watch the Weather Channel. Uh, any any spe specific person or, or channel or anything like that that kind of interests you as well? Yeah, well, growing up in, in the, the western part of the state, we were in the Charlotte market. So all the all the TV meteorologists, uh, Eric, Th Eric Thomas, um, Al Conklin and uh, Chris Suchan, who's moved on to San Antonio, but I uh, ran into the two of them at a, uh, a conference, uh, a tropical weather conference a, a couple years ago um, when we had the airplane out there. So it's it's pretty small world in our community. It's, it's kind of neat to see those guys you used to watch on television and uh, kind of come full circle. We're all in the all in the same uh, in the same career field now. It's pretty neat. Very cool. So we get to um, the big question here. Okay. It's lead it out on, on the topic is tell us a little bit about the 53rd weather squadron. You know, you guys, I think this outfit's been around since 1944, since World War II, correct? I mean, it's been doing weather recon, part of the department of defense. And you, you tend to do this work with department, uh, other departments as well um, to cross over for NOAA and the partnerships, the weather service and NHC. So tell us about the 53rd and, and everything that you do. That's right. Uh, we just celebrated our 75th anniversary of uh, weather reconnaissance last year. So yeah, we've been around for a long time. Obviously, uh, the technology behind it has continued to grow over that time period. Um, 
but we've been flying in the WC-130 uh, J model for the last uh, 20 to 25 years or so, which is the J model is the newest variant of the C-130. Um, and so, uh, you know, C-130s are, are, are used across uh, the force, across the military for, for different missions, but um, it's a very rugged airplane. It's a very durable airplane. And uh, so people, you know, often ask, you know, is it a special, you know, specially fortified or something like that? And the answer is no. I mean, it's, it's, it's just a C-130 and they're basically flying tanks. Um, so it, it's very um, good platform for, for what we do. And the W prefix is basically just the weather equipment that's been added to it uh, to help us do this mission. So um, you mentioned our partners, our, our primary customers, uh, the National Hurricane Center. And so uh, the data that we get uh, in the air in these storms is fed to the Hurricane Center in real time. And uh, so they, we do a quality control check on all that data. They do another quality control check and that's fed to the forecasters. And then it, from there, it's sent to the rest of the world. So you all see it within about 15 minutes of us uh, sending it off the airplane. So it's, and it, it, of course that gets directly fed into, into the models as well. So it's, it's pretty neat, the technology and how quickly that, that happens. So tell us a little bit about the data. Like you, things drop out of the airplane, right? People think, Hey, you know, is that potentially something that's going to hit somebody on the head or is it, I mean, it's, it's weather recording data, but like, how is it dropped? Is there a tube and, and, you know, these, what they're, what, what do they call? They're called radiosons and you drop them out and, and they, they fall through the air. And so tell us a little bit about what, what these things do and, and what they're made of. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. It's a, it, it's a basically inverse radioson. It's a drop signs or what they call it, what they're called. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a tube. Um, no more than a couple feet long and about the, the width of a, a Coke bottle. And uh, we've got a tube uh, that we shoot them at the bottom of the airplane. And so as soon as we release those from the plane, um, it immediately starts transmitting data from the sond to the airplane. And we can watch it drop all the way down from flight level, which is typically around 10,000 feet uh, in a hurricane mission, all the way down to the sea surface. So it's, it's constantly reporting all the way down uh, temperature, wind speed, wind direction, uh, humidity, and uh, pressure. And so um, that's how we get the, the vertical structure of the storm. And then the plane is also continuously uh, have its own sensors that it's continuously monitoring um, horizontally as well as we're, as we're flying across the storm. So uh, between the aircraft and the sons, uh, that we're releasing, we can get a, a pretty good snapshot of what the storm is doing um, at any given time. And there's also another set of data that's ongoing as well, where you're dropping sons into the ocean for depth of water temperature, correct? That's right. We have a partnership with the uh, U.S. Navy, um, and those are called AXBTs. And uh, those are, are buoys that are released in a similar fashion. Um, but yes, they same way they drop out of the bottom of the airplane and then instead of terminating at the sea surface they actually uh, submerge and, and then you get a a, a picture of, of uh, sea surface temperature as well that's, and which is also uh, uh, fed into the models um, the air sea interaction models after the fact 
Yeah, that's really important data. I mean, especially for rapid intensification, uh, that data is you know, it's super important to find out what your 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 sea surface potentials are for your heating potentials, or they call it TCHP for for exact for technical. Um, so back to the plane, though, I did want to ask more of a question. Anybody, anybody else had any questions about the airplane itself? But you're talking about old school propeller wing plane. Like how would how does that plane stack up against a jet? Would you would you fly, rather fly a jet engine plane into a hurricane, or would you prefer the old school propeller planes? Well, definitely not into the hurricane, um, and the, that's probably the biggest reason that we fly a C-130 is that um, they're slow, they're big, and they're slow. And uh, the reason being is uh, they fly about half the speed of what a, a commercial airliner, a jet, uh, would fly. And um, obviously, there's a lot of turbulence in, in a hurricane, and the slower you can fly, the less you feel a lot of that turbulence. And then also has to do with the intakes. Um, you don't want to get a lot of that precipitation into a jet engine where the, whereas the, uh, the C-130 and the propellers kind of, you know, can cut off some of that precipitation from, from being ingested into the, the engine. So um, there, there's plenty of reasons we fly the, the, the old prop airplanes. <laughs> I've always wanted to ask that. I've just never heard a pilot talk about the differences between a jet and a propeller airplane. You can only guess. But uh, thanks for clarifying that. That's really cool. Um, last question for me, I'll pass on to the other panel, but this one, uh, man, 2020, holy moly, what a year, right? I mean, we got, you know, a third of the way through the Greek alphabet. I can't even imagine how many missions everybody involved, all the hurricane hunters had to do. Tell us about some of yours. How many did you, do you remember how many you had to do? Was it never ending? It seemed like, oh or, my goodness. Um, yeah. Tell, maybe just go over some of your more memorable um, uh, storms that you covered. Yeah, um, it, it's hard to, to keep them all straight, to be honest. Uh, again, we, we got an early start to the year. Uh, Arthur, I believe, was in mid-May. And then we flew all the way through, of course, the record-setting year that we had flying all the way through uh, November. Um, to, uh, probably the most memorable was the kind of tandem storms we were flying with Marco and Laura. And if you recall, both of those storms were kind of entering the Gulf at about the same time, and which was kind of unprecedented. And uh, especially for us, uh, flying two different storm systems in the Gulf of Mexico simultaneously was a first for us. And um, I remember having to fly Marco uh, in the Gulf of Mexico from Keesler Air Force Base in Mississippi, which is where we're based out of, recovering in Charleston, uh, South Carolina, to, to then turn around and fly uh, Laura, uh, because Laura, actually Mar Marco as well, they were both kind of hinting at making that curve to the north to where our operating base was, was going to be threatened. And then, of course, we can't we can't fly or we can't take off and land from a base where a hurricane's bearing down on our base. So that was another interesting thing of this year. I believe four different uh, systems, four different storms, four different, four separate deployments we had to evacuate the aircraft from Keesler Air Force Base to another operating area to be able to fly storms because of the, the threat to our own base. So it, it really was an unprecedented uh, unprecedented year in, in so many different respects. 
Wow. And you just, y'all just fly the Atlantic basin or do you also do the Pacific cover some of the Pacific Eastern, Eastern North Pacific or central? We do. We do fly the Pacific basin as well. Um, we will fly the Eastern Pacific, you know, so right off of uh, Baja California area, we can actually fly those from, from Mississippi. And so that, that's a very long, that's a very long flight that, that can be, you know, 11, 12 hours with most of that in just the end route time getting there and back. Uh, we'll also fly Central Pacific storms if they look to threaten Hawaii and we'll forward, forward deploy, forward locate out to Hawaii to fly it from there. And then um, of, of course we fly the Atlantic, the Atlantic base in the Gulf of Mexico and uh, we'll, we'll forward locate out to the Caribbean, usually St. Croix, one of the U.S. Virgin Islands to fly storms uh, to that farther eastern extent. Very good. Thank you so much. I appreciate all those answers. Good stuff. I'm going to go ahead and pass you off to Dan. He's got, uh, he's got the next one up. I'm going to just listen for a little bit. And uh, go ahead, Dan, you take it. Does the view kind of change as you're at your cruising altitude and then you start descending? How does the hurricane look from that high up? And then, of course, once you get down to the actual hurricane, how does, how does that change? Yeah, it depends on the strength of the storm. Obviously, how how big the storm itself is. Um, most storm missions are are pretty benign, all the way up until you're you're really in the storm environment. Um, you know, there'll be some serious and stuff. And even the the stronger hurricanes, uh, you're you're typically flying under that that central dense overcast area. So you know it'll be cloudy above you, but a lot of times you can see the sea surface you know, all the way up to, uh, you know, 50 or so miles out before you start really getting into the banding. So um, a lot of times you, you, you wouldn't even realize you're fly, getting ready to fly into a hurricane until you're within that, that 50 miles or so. Um, but, you know, each storm is different. Uh, the bigger, the bigger storms you can, you know, even at that entry point, uh, you know, hundred miles out from the center, you know, you'll see the sea churning pretty good down there. And then some of the stronger hurricanes, you don't see anything until you get close. And all of a sudden, you know, it ramps up really quickly. And of course, drops back down really quickly in the in the eye. So each, each storm is kind of different in that regard. Well, Jeremy, you were talking about uh, you guys never get any rest. And obviously, 2020 was a crazy season. I, I'm curious. Uh, this isn't really my question, but uh has did 2020 get to the point where you, you just couldn't remember what storm we were on because we had so many <laughs> <laughs> honestly it, it does you know it, it you remember events um you remember you know specific uh, uh weather and, and specific instances or what have you it's, it's hard to to tie that to a name and a, a period of time because especially when you get really busy and you're, and you're just kind of jumping right from one storm to the next. Um, it, it's hard. It's kind of hard to keep them straight sometimes. Um, it's, it was definitely one of those, it was definitely one of those years for that as well. Yeah, definitely a crazy year. And like I was saying, you guys really not getting much of a break because in the winter time, you guys are flying winter weather missions and atmospheric river missions. And um, you know, that, that term atmospheric river, uh, has really hit home here in the Carolinas as we've seen several setups, um, most notably uh, 2015 with Joaquim and that the, that flow of moisture coming into South Carolina. So tell us a little bit about those missions and, and what the goals are for those and, and what you guys are trying to do to help better forecast these uh, these heavy precipitation events. 
our so you know our in in hurricane season our customer uh, our primary customers national hurricane center and the the data that we're sending to them is not only to help the, the models but to provide the forecaster themselves with the most current information so that the hurricane center can then turn around and develop their their products their watches and warnings advisory products um, for evacuation purposes so similar to that um, but for the winter season but our customers a little different in that it's it's actually NCEP and and the the data that we provide is getting directly fed into the global models the GFS uh, the European uh, and it's more um, it's more drop sound centric than it is us flying you know kind of specific we call them alpha patterns through the hurricane big x's across the hurricane um, for the winter season um, they're more targeted and it's more drops on heavy so the the they're more concerned with the vertical structure of the atmosphere um, and, the, and for the winter storm missions and so we'll fly those as high as as high as possible which is usually uh, in the say probably 30 to 32,000 foot uh, range and we'll do and we'll just drop a ton of drop signs. Um the last atmospheric river missions we've been flying the last uh, week or so it's typically about 20 to 25 drop signs per per mission that all immediately get ingested into um, that the global models during that uh, assimilation window that, that brings up a question for me is um I'm not sure if you would know the answer, Jeremy, but you know, what is the lead time for that data to make it into the next set of, of deterministic modeling? Say GFS is every six hours. So if you get that data in by 11 o'clock AM, has the GFS already started populating and we go into the 6 PM, right? So uh, what would be the lead time for that? Like what, what would say, hey, what would be the earliest to catch this next model run? And do you time it that way as well? We do, it's, actually, that's exactly how we time it. We, we time the entire mission um, around the GFS model assimilation window. So say for the zero Z run, uh, we fly, I think the first, the first sign can be ingested as early as 20, 2030 Z, I believe. And then it goes a few hours after zero Z. So there's like a six hour window where the model is ingested into whatever that control time is for the model. And we will maximize the entire window um, to release drop signs and, and send those off the plane and make sure they get ingested into the models. Very interesting. I suspected that, but thank you. I just learned something really nice tonight. Thank you. And, and for those who, who are listening, these to kind of bring it down to, to what you guys, uh, who may not be all into the weather world, are these missions, especially for winter storms, uh, kind of help plot where that uh, here in the Carolinas, at least, where that that rain snow line is, and we all know it kind of sets up over Interstate 85 for whatever reason. But that's why these missions are so important, is because uh, it's just extra tools in, in, in the toolbox that we we use when we're forecasting these winter weather events that are always tricky of where that 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 warm nose, where that rain snow line sets up. So these are important missions. Um, that, that all are, uh, are, are given. So um, Dan, I know you had uh, uh, some more questions, so I'll toss it to you and then we'll kind of um, close up with the interview here in a minute. Great, thanks, Scotty. Um, yeah, so I guess kind of all in all, um, thinking back to your, uh, all of your flights altogether, do you have any 
um, memorable moments. Um, you know, I guess something I would pitch in is like a Coliseum effect on and flying through an eye wall or, or anything that, um, you know, is astounding. Yeah, I would say my most memorable mission was the the, the Michael landfall mission in uh, 2018. Obviously, Michael uh, was one of those cat ended up being a cat five and a post analysis and it strengthened all the way up right until landfall in the Florida panhandle. And I uh, flew that mission. It was, it was the most turbulent mission I've ever flown uh, the, specifically the very last pass of, of that mission. Uh, we came in from the South and it was right as it was coming uh, button up, button up against the coastline. And, um, you know, we were seeing the easily seeing the what would be cat five winds down at the flight level um, down down to the sea surface, and we dropped about two thousand feet in altitude between entering the between entering the eye wall where we exited the eye wall into the eye, and um, the the turbulence was in that was just incredible. And a, a lot of times the, the most turbulent storms aren't necessarily the, the strongest hurricanes. Um, it's it, because they're, they're so well, they're so well developed and, um, and constant and wind flow and all that. It's typically the ones that are undergoing under rapid intensification, but that, that storm was just so strong. And, um, the data that we, we were getting from it was just incredible. And then, um, also what stands out, uh, the year prior, uh, 20, 2017 was uh, Harvey and Irma. I flew the landfall missions of both of those storms, and that was back to back. And uh, Harvey specifically was um, memorable because we were we were hearing uh, radio calls to the Coast Guard from ships uh, down in Corpus Christi Harbor, uh, mayday calls. And they were not able to reach the Coast Guard. So we were actually relaying calls on the aircraft from ships to the Coast Guard and also gathering the data at the same time. And that, that was, it kind of puts a, you know, you know, a human element on what we do when, when you're flying, especially those landfall missions, especially, and you see the impact, I mean, the, the direct impact. And so, um, it's, it's why we do what we do. And it, those, that's why some of those storms just stand out as being the most memorable. One, one more thing, and then we'll get a little, a little bit more fun uh, before we finish up. Uh, any other things that you guys do? I, I know you're doing winter reconnaissance, you're doing hurricane uh, hunters, but anything else that 53rd Weather Squadron, I mean, that you guys are, are helping out throughout the year? Yeah, during our very short off season in the, in the, in the spring, uh, we'll do the awareness tours which have kind of been on hold uh last year because of of covid um we'll see what happens with this year it's probably we're kind of going month to month with things at this point but um those are we do those for both in the u.s and in the caribbean so those are about a week long um scotty we were talking earlier that uh, you got a chance to, to see us when we were in charlotte a couple years ago and so we'll we'll either go kind of go up the east eastern seaboard, or we'll kind of make a, make a Gulf Coast run. I think we kind of alternate every other year how we do those, and we just take the airplane around, and it's opportunity to interact with the public, 
so they can kind of see what they do. They're able to get on the airplane and walk through and we talk to them. And uh, it's a good awareness of, of our mission. Um, air shows, we'll, we'll do air shows as well. And then uh, again, just, you know, training, just training to, to stay proficient and uh, current in the airplane. And um, besides that, again, you know, our, our seasons are pretty long. And so there's always, there's always some kind of reconnaissance uh, to do. So well, we stay pretty busy. Jeremy, I lied. I have one more for you. <laughs> this is it. I mean, it's just fascinating. I keep learning more and more as we go along. Um, the, the one thing I do want to know is, I, I, so when we look at the, the Hurricane Hunter path, right, and, and we're tracking the flights, right, we're watching what's going on. It's being tracked GPS. The data is coming out. That's being tracked as well. The flight pattern going in, over a hurricane into it and over it, is there a specific pattern, what we call maybe a ribbon or a um, bow tie or, or what, what kind of pattern do you fly in there? Is it, is it the same thing every time? Or are you just going for specifics on, on each um, quadrant of the eye of the eye of basically the storm? Generally speaking, uh, we, we do fly the same pattern. It's, we call it an alpha pattern, uh, which is the, the one that you'll typically see if you, if you track us, um, you know, online as we're flying, but it's, it's essentially a giant X across the storm. So you'll start in one quadrant, say the, the Northwest, You'll fly through the storm, dropping signs along the way. Um, you make a, a cross leg, and then you come back, come back in from the the other quadrant, you know, the northeast to the southwest, and that that would be considered one alpha pattern. Two passes, one big X is one alpha pattern. Um, we'll vary the leg lengths. To the standard length is 105 nautical miles. Uh, we'll vary the lengths depending on input from the National Hurricane Center. Um, Obviously, they're they're typically most concerned with that right, the strongest right front quadrant. So a lot of times they'll want to sample that quadrant first, or set it up in a way so we're going to sample the most impactful quadrants depending on where it might be making land or approaching land. Um, sample it. The, the longest legs through that maybe shorter legs in the southwest. Um, so just depending on what they want to see, we'll kind of alter those leg lengths. But that's pretty much the standard pattern will fly for a hurricane mission. And um, we haven't really talked much about our invest missions, which is, you know, it's just typically it's just a blob, you know, a blob of, of thunderstorm activity out over the, the open ocean um, with you know, the models hinting that it could develop. And so we'll just kind of go out there as low as possible and basically just go fly, try to fly a, a closed, or find a, a closed circulation. And from a meteorologist's perspective, I, the, the invest missions are actually the most challenging for us um, because there's no set pattern. Uh, there's no, you, you, and you don't really don't know what you're gonna find until you get out there. And so um, you get, you, they give you a, a coordinate, usually a, a point to shoot for nine times out of 10, it's not where the center is located because and you, they, they can't see it. That's what, why we're going out there to do what we do. And so at that point, then you're, you're kind of ad-libbing it and just trying to, to figure out, is there a closed circulation or not? And uh, we'll fly uh, box patterns around that, just kind of box box around it. Uh, we'll fly a, I believe it's called a delta pattern, which is more of a zigzag. If you can't find that circulation, you just kind of make a zigzag to kind of map out the, 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 the trough, the periphery of, a, of, a, of the wave. Um, so there are many different patterns. Uh, a lot of it can be 
uh, ad lib depending on what we're finding or not finding. We'll, we'll wrap up with, with some fun stuff, Jeremy. Um, I know you, you guys, you said you're busy uh, working a lot, but what, what's life like out, outside of, uh, of the Weather Squadron? Any hobbies you like to do? You get back into the Carolinas, any at all? I mean, what, what's, what's it like uh, when you have a little downtime? Well, I've got three kids uh, that they keep me pretty busy. <laughs> so I love spending time with my family. love spending time with my, my kids. Um, I'm, a, I'm a sports not I'm still a big NC State fan. So uh, always watching the Wolfpack. Um, Philip Rivers today just announced his retirement. You guys what, saw, I saw that. that. Um, I saw tracking that, that today. Um, uh, so uh, always tracking what former Wolfpackers are doing too. Um, love Love sports, love love watching sports, love playing sports. So um, between that and, my, and spending time with my family, it's probably the biggest things. So do they uh, They think daddy's got a pretty cool job? He gets to go fly into these big hurricanes. I mean, are they? have they caught the weather bug yet? <laughs> I'm doing my best. I'm doing my best. To, you know, they, they, uh, they, yeah, they, they're, they're younger, so they, they have a hard time understanding exactly what it is or why. <laughs> why anyone would even do that. So that's hard to explain to them sometimes, but uh, yeah, they, they, they're interested in it. And I try to, I, I try to talk to them about it as much as I can too. So give them time though, that, that cool factor will go up higher and higher. <laughs> I mean, Dan, Dan over here, he's getting ready to take so. his, Dan's getting ready to take his kids storm chasing this spring. So, I mean, you know, <laughs> Dan, I need to join that's you tough. to get my cool factor up instead of sitting in front of computers all day. <laughs> uh, that's awesome get it started get them started early well jeremy i would certainly appreciate your time uh you have a really cool twitter page that uh that folks need to know about so if they want to follow you how can they do that yep i'm on i'm on twitter uh just just search for jeremy dhart 53rd and uh the uh and my organization again is the the air force hurricane hunters the 53rd weather reconnaissance squadron who also has their their Twitter page as well. So they'll be looking for us. We're, we're always sending updates. I think from all of us who are on tonight and all the panelists who wasn't able to join tonight's recording, we want to thank you for you and the team for the hard work you put in for 2020. And in fact, the last couple of years, and it's been a, a crazy uh, couple of seasons with tropical systems. And we appreciate hard work and dedication you all are doing to get us the information so we can make sure people are, are aware and alert and ready for these uh, tropical systems to approach. So uh, we hope you get a little bit of downtime. We appreciate you joining us tonight. And uh, we hope uh, 2021 is maybe a little bit quieter for you. Yeah, we could use a little break. <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you for all you do. And, and thank you guys for watching us tonight on the Carolina Weather Group. We'll see you back here for next week for another exciting show.